0: Church Audio Podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Getting, trying to get a little caught up on podcasts. <laughs> I realized this is from a month ago. Um, it's been a, a crazy month of all kinds of stuff. This was back around Memorial Day weekend. This is called Seek the Good of the City. And uh, this is a message of Jeremiah chapter 29, a a chapter that is pretty famous uh, for one particular verse. We're going to look at that verse in context and look at what Jeremiah is really getting at here. So hopefully you find this helpful. Thanks for listening. North Shore Vineyard, audio podcast. Let's go to the talk. North Shore Vineyard, downtown Covington. it's uh got Shane in the hospital the last 2 days with knee infection and I came down with a kidney infection the other night and we we're, were we're we're hobbling along but uh my dad came into town we were supposed to hang out and go catch some music and stuff and my dad's ended up just taking a lot of naps uh, at our house <laughs> not not been a great great hope um I'm going to try to remember what I was going to talk about. Um, y'all remember, anybody remember Christian bookstores? They're, they're kind of a rare thing now, except in the lobbies of mega churches. But back in the 90s, Christian bookstores were the place to be. I remember as a young Christian, I'd go to the Christian bookstore because not only could you find Christian books, it was the place to find the latest contemporary Christian music. And you could also find t-shirts emblazoned with w w j d or you know clever um, Christianizations of the latest logos or phrases that advertisers were using, like instead of gold's gym," it'd be "God's gym," or instead of "Got milk," it'd be "Got Jesus," really clever and uh but then you'd also find a, an assortment of Christian knickknacks, little inspirational framed pictures, or or uh, cards, or bookmarks, or even candy bars or mints emblazoned with scriptures or ins- ins- uh, inspirational sayings. And one of the most common scriptures that you would find on these knickknacks would be Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Anybody familiar with that scripture? If you were a Christian in the nineties and you went to a Christian bookstore, you were you were familiar with that. The scripture is, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's pretty inspirational, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, there's no wonder why it, it was on these inspirational cards, because I think that gets down to the way most of us want to think about God. God wants to prosper us, not harm us, give us hope, give us a future. We like that. But, as is often is the problem, when you take one verse out of the Bible, you miss the context and you really don't quite get what that scripture is saying. And the reality is, that is a very inspirational scripture, but it's not inspirational in the way that most of us think of it being inspirational. And to explain that, I need to give a little context. And to give some context, I want to give kind of a bird's eye view of the Old Testament. If you go back to the Exodus when Moses is leading the children of Israel through the wilderness, Moses goes up Mount Sinai and he comes down with the terms and conditions of the covenant, the Old Testament law. Now, here's here's just a brief summation of what the law is. Basically, God was making a covenant with his people saying, "If You show faithfulness to God by obeying this covenant, the terms of it, which governed everything from the kind of food you could eat, how you would engage in worship, Sabbath-keeping, circumcision, even the kind of clothes you wear, how justice would would be meted out. If you would do these things, then it's going to go well for you. You will actually get to go into the promised land, and the very land itself will prosper. However... If you don't show faithfulness to God by obeying the old old, old covenant, then the land itself will cease to prosper, and eventually, you you hear this phrase a lot in the prophets, the land spewing out its inhabitants, uh, eventually you get kicked out. And so throughout the Old Testament, there, it's, it's kind of a roller coaster of spirituality of, of the Israelites. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're very faithful to God. They're, they're, doing, they're, they're showing faithfulness to the covenant, and things are going well. But then, then they start worshiping the gods of, of the other people around them, and sometimes engaging in horrible things like child sacrifice to, to Molech or, or Baal, uh, these, these gods of the, the Canaanites peoples around there. And God begins raising up prophets towards the end of the Old Testament that start saying, look, you better change your ways or you're going to get kicked out of this place. And they don't. They don't change their ways. And eventually, probably the darkest time for the Israelites was the, the Babylonian exile where Babylon comes in, invades the land, destroys the temple, this beautiful temple they had built by Solomon. And then... Babylon takes the best and the brightest from among them and takes them off to the capital city to work for the government. Now, with all this context in mind, this kind of helps us get at what Jeremiah 29.11 is. Because Jeremiah 29.11 is actually God speaking to them on the front side of this exile. They've been invaded by Babylon. The best and the brightest have been taken off to, to the capital city. And God is saying, look, you're in for a rough time. For the next 70 years, it's going to be difficult. But know this, I have plans for you to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope in a future. So, so there is hope in this verse, but it's not the type of hope that exempts the people of Israel from suffering. It is understand that this difficult season you're going through is not the end it's not going to be what defines you so i want to back up a little bit and 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 we're going to i'm going to read what jeremiah says to them going in leading up to jeremiah 29:11 this is from jeremiah 29 Says this, these are the words of the letter of Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city I have sent you into exile. And pray to the Lord on its behalf. For it is in the wealth, it, its, in its welfare that you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let your prophets and diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, When seventy years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promises, and bring you... Context helps a little bit here. (laughs) It's an interesting thing. The the darkest period in the Old Testament for the Israelites, the Babylonian exile, when they're going into it, it's really odd what God is telling them here. Because I think, I mean, the good old United States of America, we've never been invaded by a, a foreign empire, but imagine like Canada decides... Like we've had enough of being nice dudes up here. We're going to invade the United States, and they invade us and, and ransack all our holy places and take the best and the brightest up there. I could imagine being in that situation, uh, in, you know, being dominated by a foreign empire, the most logical, the most normal thing to do would be, if I have to work for this foreign government and help them rule, well, I'm going to be passive-aggressive. I'll show up but I'm going I'm to try to make it bad for them. Or maybe not passive-aggressive, maybe aggressive, you know? Seeking to start an insurgency, to rebel against them. And, and you'd be justified. But God says, going into the exile, going into this very dark period, don't try to undermine Babylon. Don't try to, to, to see this... this invading empire, destroyed, seek the blessing of the city, put down some roots, plant gardens, take wives. marry your kids off, seek the good of the city. If any of you went to Sunday school when you were growing up, you probably heard the stories of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and, and Daniel, and the lion's den. Well, those stories come out of the Babylonian exile. These were people, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these were people, and Daniel, they were, they were the best and the brightest. They were working for the government, and they were still trying to be faithful to God, and sometimes that got them into trouble. You know, They get thrown into the fiery furnace, or Daniel gets thrown into the lion's den, and God shows up there. I think it is an interesting thing when you hit a period in life where something comes out of nowhere, something that, that you didn't expect, it wasn't on the map, it's not what you chose, it's not what you wanted, and now, now you feel like you're living in exile. You feel like there are things outside of your control that are now beginning to define your existence. And when we get into those places, the most natural thing is to keep kicking against that reality, to keep trying to change it. And I know I've been there on plenty of occasions in my life where you just, you just keep trying to, 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 to change your circumstances. And yet, I, I think there's so much wisdom in this passage because it gets at the real thing that, that at, the, at the core of, of what happens if we can actually stop kicking against the reality of the things that we don't want to experience in our life and accept those realities, and instead of being walled in with resentments and bitterness to seek to be a blessing, that actually becomes the the, the place that we are changed. The very things that could take us down actually become the place where we experience transformation. And I think the whole Jeremiah 29 11 thing, it is inspirational, but the thing that actually prepares you for Jeremiah 29 11 is actually learning how to find God when things aren't going the way that you want them to. Learning how to find God when things aren't uh, ideal when you feel like you're in exile, when you feel like nothing is going the way that you want, to learn how to accept those situations and show up and be a blessing rather than being just merely a victim of your circumstances. You do that for 70 years, God saying, you're going to realize that I have good plans for you. You're going to realize like Paul realized when he was on death row in a Roman prison when he wrote in Philippians chapter 4, I believe. He's like, I found the secret of happiness. I've learned how to be content whether things are good or bad. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, that's the thing that matters more than anything, is not that we find a change in our circumstances. You go through times in your life where maybe money's coming in great. You go through times where you have difficulty paying the bills. You go through times where relationships are great. You go through times where there's relational turmoil. If you are anchoring your hope of your life on how any of these things uh, are turning out, it's going to be shifting sand, but if you learn to find the life that transcends your circumstances, now you're on the path to transformation. Now, that's on, a, on an individual level, but I would say when it comes to being a church right now, a community of faith, it's very easy in our modern political climate, to feel like we're in an adversarial relationship with things going on in the world. I'll illustrate this from, you know, back uh, in 2005, I was an associate pastor at the Vineyard in Kenner, and that church had been in a strip mall for 20 years. We got up to seven services. Briefly got up to eight services. Um, it was crazy. And the church had experienced like exponential growth over about the, in about 10 years they went from a church about the size of this to about 1500 2000 people. And things were kicking, man. It was it was exciting, but they'd been sp- sp- put money aside and and bought some property and then started building this building. And and so it's the summer of 2005 and we were so excited to get into this new building because we're like, man, we don't have to do seven services. The staff was really excited about that, but we just expected like, we're going to move into this new building and all these people are, you know, hundreds of hundreds and hundreds of people that haven't been to our church are going to just show up because we have a new building and we're just going to keep growing and all this. And, Our first service was scheduled for the first Sunday in September. But about six days before, things got altered a bit when this little storm called Katrina came through. (laughs) We had already moved the church offices over there, and we were ready to do this thing. And then all of a sudden, this storm shows up. Now, I want to back up a little bit because that year leading up to moving into the building we had really begun to have a very adversarial relationship with the city of Kenner. Um, part of it was over just building codes and stuff, and I guess that's part of what goes on when you build a building. But when it came down to it, the last couple of months before we were scheduled to move into the building, the stuff that was holding things up was like the landscaping, you know? Like they were mad, Kenner was mad that we had too many palm trees or something, I don't know. And I remember we'd go to staff meetings, and we'd be having our time of prayer, and I'm, I'm wanting to pray those psalms that are real vindictive, you know, God, smite, smite the city. And um, finally we got all, the, we got all the, the stuff worked out with the landscaping, and we were ready to move in. Well, then Katrina happens. And within just a few days of Katrina happening, vineyard churches from around the country began se- sending teams down. And before we knew it, we had this large camp right next to the church, a big circus tent that would hold about 60 people, tr- shower trailers. And we immediately rolled up our sleeves and just started getting our hands dirty. We had blocks and blocks of FEMA trailers. Uh, Ricky and Sharon, I, I think that's uh, – didn't I meet you? Bringing a watermelon to you or something. Uh, there was all these blocks of FEMA trailers. We would bring hot meals to them twice a week. We opened up the church and, and, and for job fairs for people who'd lost... Uh, their jobs. We were sending teams out to gut houses and then eventually uh, started rebuilding homes. We were, you know, for the first two months after Katrina, the church staffed the kitchen at City Hall, the very ones we had been in an adversarial relationship. We started feeding the city employees and the electrical workers and the fire department and the police department and just serving hot meals three times a day. And it was a very interesting thing because I think it was about a year after Katrina, Phil Johnson, the pastor uh, at the Kinder Vineyard, was invited to a ceremony at City Hall where they actually gave him a key to the city. Um, and, then they, and then they told Phil, they said, we want you to actually be uh, heading up the nonprofit and, and religious group uh, response if there's ever another storm like this. You guys can get in first because we've seen what you've done. And it was just a very different sort of thing. And it was something that really changed my point of view on things. You know, in my life, I've seen countless stories, as we all have, of churches that are like, you know, we we want... We're just going to fight the school system until we can get prayer in school. Or, you know, we want the Ten Commandments, uh, you know, on display in in every courthouse. And, And Christians get really in an adversarial relationship with the government over a lot of these kinds of issues. But Jeremiah here is saying, rather than trying to be in an adversarial relationship, even when it's justified... I mean, look, Babylon, it wasn't a cool situation. But even when you look at Jesus many centuries later, Jesus was doing his ministry under another empire, Rome. And Rome was brutal and violent and levied horrible taxations. But what did Jesus do? Jesus just kept doing good. Jesus just kept being a blessing. And even when people tried to pull Jesus into political issues, well, what if Jesus are, you know, if we're, if we're living in the kingdom of God, do we really have to pay Rome taxes? And Jesus is like, well, bring me a coin. Whose pictures on it? Caesar. Well, why don't you give to Caesar? What's his, you give to God's what, what's his. In other words, give yourself <laughs> to God. Jesus didn't get bogged down in trying to be, to undermine the Roman Empire, when there was all kinds of good reasons that he could undermine the Roman Empire, he just kept doing good. And sometimes that good was feeding hungry people. Sometimes it was breaking bread with, with people who had been marginalized by religion. Sometimes it was healing lepers, restoring sight to the blind. Jesus was characterized by being a blessing. You know... I have to say, since I came over here to the North Shore of, you know, about ten years ago, um, after having lived for several years in Kenner, where we had such a great relationship with the city, there have been some things that have have bothered me a bit over here. That that, that there seems to be a mentality where we've tried to work with the. Uh, the parish government a bit, and I've seen the doors shut in our face a few times, and there's times where it's like, I just want to be, well, maybe we'll stop offering. (laughs) But I have to keep coming back to, there's things that I have no control over. There's a lot of things. (laughs) And when we look at the world today, what... Whether it's the politics on the national side or or local politics, there's a ton of things that I disagree with. Tons of things that I would like to see done differently. But sometimes we can get so wound up about all these issues going on on a national side of things where it just puts us into a... perpetual state of anxiety and feeling overwhelmed or in a place where we're in an adversarial relationship either with the government or people that believe differently on different political issues that we cease to actually do good. It shuts us down from actually engaging in the world where we actually have the, the, the power to do something good. I can't change a whole lot of stuff about the economy in the United States. I can't do a whole lot about much of these other issues. But I can do something about my own life. I can do something about my own neighborhood. I can do something about downtown Covington. Jeremiah is saying, you're going into a time of exile. This is a dark time. Don't let resentment take you down. Don't feel like because things are not going the way that you want to that it's over, that it's the end. I've got good plans for you. You can start tasting of that goodness, though, even in the midst of circumstances that aren't ideal. And as you do, you start being prepared for the good times. If you can learn how to experience God in the difficult times, if you can learn how to keep your heart free from resentments when things don't go your way, if you can learn how to accept your reality and, and, and change the few things that you have power over when things aren't going good, then you're really in a place where you can enjoy when things actually do get good without them taking you down, which is a whole nother message. I say all that because in closing next Sunday as I, as I announced, you know, we're doing the Serve the City Sunday. And this is not, you know, we shut down church that Sunday. And this is the reason we do that. I you know, and we've been doing this kind of stuff for years. And, it, and it's interesting, so many times when we do a bag hunger thing on a Sunday or when we do something like serve the city, inevitably there's going to be some people who show up and like, oh, I thought y'all were having church today. I mean, we, we are having church today. We're, we're going to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. Oh, well, I'll just come back next week when y'all have the, the worship and, 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 and the message and the coffee. No, this is how we be church this is how we be a blessing to the community. This is how we live it out. As I've been saying week after week recently, Christianity is, is, is not best thought of as merely a belief system. It's about action. It's about experience. It's about movement, and sometimes if you're, if you're struggling in a part of your life where you just feel stuck and maybe circumstances aren't going the way, maybe the last thing you need right now is a Bible study. Maybe the last thing you need right now is to just listen to another TV preacher or just come to a church and hear another sermon. Maybe what you actually need to do is get out. Go be a blessing. I can't tell you how many times when I will get off my butt and just go help some people that need it. Go hang out with somebody that's going through a dark time, a difficult time. Go minister to somebody, you know, maybe bring some a meal. I can't tell you how many times by just taking that little bit of action, it adjusts the trajectory of my life a bit. It causes me to see things in a different way. We shut down church a couple of times a year to get out in the community, not because we just want to take a, a Sunday off, but because we really believe We need to have some places where we can actually practice our faith together in the community, where we can be a blessing. And I have to say, you know, when you look at the businesses, the organizations in downtown Covington, you know, we do have a good reputation with them. They know that we're not here to take over Covington. They know that we're here to serve. They know that we want the best for the city and the inhabitants of this city. So I just encourage you this morning, in closing, that, you know, if, if there's anything you can sign up to help us with, um, we're going to have the sign up sheets. If you didn't sign up, nonetheless, you get one more chance today. Um, and if you know anybody else who would like to come along, encourage them to sign up. You don't even have to be a member of this church, it doesn't matter. We're going to go out and do this together. And I bet you that we're all going to encounter God as we do this. Why don't y'all stand up? Let's pray. Um, nine o'clock is the start for the children's outreach. So you can drop your kids off here at nine o'clock. The, the things, um, Fairhaven and enduring hope will actually start at nine thirty. Those will run from nine thirty to 1130. The children's stuff runs a little bit longer because you can drop your kids off if you have them and that'll run from nine to noon. Any other questions? It's, yeah, Fairhaven's in Bush. I've never actually been out there before. And if you sign up for any of these things, uh, I'm sure there's a, a spot for your, your phone number, your email, your team leader will actually get in touch with you this week and, and tell you all of uh, the details about what's supposed to happen. So, but yeah, you'll actually meet, unless you're dropping your kids off, you'll just meet at the place and then uh, get started that way. All right, well, I'm going to pray for us and go take a nap. I don't think I said anything too stupid today. <laughs> it's got it recorded. Lord God, we we do thank you that you have good plans for us to prosper us and not to harm us, to give us a hope and a future. And Lord, maybe that doesn't mean that that we will experience immediate relief from difficult times that we're going through. But Lord, I pray you would give us the grace to adjust the posture of our lives, to to move away from resentment to a place of blessing, to move away from bitterness to a posture of forgiveness, Lord. Lord, that we could be people characterized by love and goodness. Lord, that we could be characterized uh, as people who serve you not in word only, but also in deed. Lord, help North Shore Vineyard continue to be a blessing to the city of Covington and to the North Shore. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday, but not here, unless you got kids.